We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance. But no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the WHOOP Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of WHOOP, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At WHOOP, our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world to Navy SEALs to fitness enthusiasts to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among WHOOP members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? And now that we've just launched the all-new WhoopStrap 3.0 featuring WHOOP Live, which takes real-time training and recovery analysis to the next level, you're going to hear how many of these users are optimizing their body with WHOOP and with other things in their life. On this podcast, we dig deeper, we interview experts, we interview industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. How can you use data to improve your body? What should you change about your life? My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the WHOOP podcast. The last five years have been like a really nice time to be in this space, right? Everybody was sort of in the same boat. It's just a huge group of us all doing the same thing, which is suffering like crazy to grow something you're passionate about. Well, that's what CrossFit's all about. Not the sport, but that's what CrossFit's about. It's about community, suffering together, you know, building people up, helping each other through the thick of it. So it's the same on the business side. What's up, folks? Today on the Whoop Podcast, we are joined by Matt O'Keefe, president of Loud and Live Sports, and Dylan Malitsky, Loud and Live's VP of Strategic Development. Matt represents many of the biggest names in CrossFit, including Matt Frazier, Katrin David's daughter, and Tia Claire Toomey. Our elite performance manager and resident CrossFit expert, Mike Lombardi, sits down with Matt and Dylan to discuss building their business and the lessons they've learned to help get where they are today, the future of CrossFit and how events like Wadapalooza will continue to shape the sport, what WHOOP does for CrossFit athletes and how it can help the sport reach a broader audience and become more mainstream. Before I kick things over to Mike, on another note, we've just announced that WHOOP is now available in Australia. Hello, Aussies. If you're listening in Australia, stay tuned for a discount code later in the show. And now, here are Mike, Matt, and Dylan. I'm Mike Lombardi, Elite Performance Manager at Whoop. I'm here today with the heart and soul of Loud and Live Sports, President Matt O'Keefe and VP of Strategic Development, Dylan Malitsky. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Really, really pumped to be here with you. Awesome. So for those of you that are a little bit outside of the CrossFit world, I'm going to let Matt tell you a little bit about what Loud and Live does. Yeah, thanks. Well, Loud and Live is a, an entertainment, sports, and marketing agency as a whole. We, uh, Dylan and I, live in the sports side of things. But uh, Loud and Live was born about four years ago as uh, an entertainment and marketing agency pretty focused in Latin music. Uh, we have Latin music talent we manage, promote, operate concerts, tours, and do a lot of marketing work particularly experiential engagement marketing. So uh, about, 
I don't know, Dylan, 18 months ago? Yeah. About 18 months ago, um, I came on to start the sports side of things, which really mirrors that. It's, you know, event management, own and operate events, manage talent, athletes, and uh, do marketing work for brands. Uh, Nelson and Marco, my business partners, bought Wadapalooza, or a portion of Wadapalooza, about two and a half, three years ago, um, and kind of stood back and watched that and you know to see how that would progress and how they could plug in and help advance the event um, and I came to that uh, to be a part of that again like I said about 18 months ago okay. is that where you met Dylan through Wadapalooza funny enough uh, no I've known Dylan for I mean he was a part of Wadapalooza but I met Dylan as an he was an athlete actually believe it or not five years ago now five six Stop. years ago I started a clothing company called Redline Gear Supported a lot of uh, athletes, CrossFit athletes. Uh, was, that, was that based in New Hampshire? Massachusetts. Mas- oh, it's based in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, just north of here, uh, north of Boston. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm from Danvers, Mass. And uh, Dylan was somebody I met early on. He was emceeing events. He was competing. He was a regional athlete. So we formed a friendship at that point. Always kind of talked a lot and wanted to work together and never found a way. He was kind of going that event track and working at Wadapalooza and... I was going the athlete route. And uh, so, Dill, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you found your way to CrossFit, obviously regionals, and emceeing the games for six years. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Seven years. Seven years, Seven yeah. Years. So until this year. This would have been, this this been, been eight. My background, grew up in Pennsylvania, was a student at the University of Miami, and when I moved down there, I was an RA in the dorms, and I met Noel Olson, who was uh, an aspiring CrossFitter at the time, and not made it to regionals. He introduced me to CrossFit uh, in a little gym called Peak 360, uh, and that was the host gym of Wadapalooza at the time. So uh, year one, actually, just being part of the gym, I volunteered and was a, was a judge. Year two, I was asked by leadership of Wadapalooza being out of the gym to MC, and I had never done anything like it before. I had just started coaching, and it was like six months before the event, so I, uh, you know, with it being so far out, I didn't really put it into context what that would mean, so I said yes right away. Come game day, I'm shaking in my boots, and uh, I got out there on the competition floor and apparently did pretty good because I was asked back to, uh, to MC the actual Southeast Regionals that were hosted in West Palm Beach that year. From there, after like day one, I was being introduced to Dave Castro and Justin Berg, and uh, before you know it, the rest of of that season, that regional season, I was on the road doing all the regionals and then the games that year. And then the following year in 2014 was when uh, I'd made it as an individual to regionals in Southeast, and I was wearing red line gear, actually, having uh, worked with Matt at that point. Um, And then the rest of the the weekends, I was uh, emceeing, and then I'd continued on emceeing for the next six years. But over that time, after emceeing one year, the next year I'd become media director uh, of Wadapalooza. So that was in twenty, yeah, that was in twenty fourteen, and then twenty fifteen is when I took on a larger operations role that consisted of primarily competition and media, and that continued to evolve to where we are now, uh, working with Matt, and, and now has even gone beyond the events. And now I'm involved agency wide with our athletes, our properties, and marketing services. That's amazing. Yeah. Quite the ride, quite the ride. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's. Uh, I think for both of you, it's been fairly unconventional to kind of get to this point, wouldn't you say? hundred uh, percent. I, I mean, that's probably an understatement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I was insurance salesman turned sports agent in like an overnight period. So, yeah, it's, um, I mean, we both, and I think I speak for Dylan, we pinch ourselves because we, like, we get to do what we do. We, you know, we don't have to do any of this. And it's truly a privilege to work with the people we do, our team, the athletes, you know. Um, we do find ourselves, you know, smiling and shaking our heads a lot at where we're at. It's 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 so much fun. 
So how, I mean, how do you go from car dealership to Redline to where we are now with your host that you're putting on sanctionals around, literally around the world? Uh, you're innovating the way that people are thinking about CrossFit and, and truly influencing the games to a great degree. Uh, how, how does that happen over the span of, I don't know, what was four, five, six years. Yeah. Is, that, is it shorter than that? No, that's about right. It's about like five years. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I'm fortunate. I was taught to, you know, uh, think big, you know, from a young age and, you know, have goals and achieve them, chase them. Um, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I was in a family business, uh, moved on from that. There is actually a little piece in between the, the car dealership and Redline, which was I sold insurance. And I was really bored stiff, honestly, and it, it kind of, I, I, always, I always say, like, I was always entrepreneurial um, in spirit, but I really never had the stones to go do something, right? And I think a lot of people in my position probably have an event that really does kick them in the ass to go do something like that. And I was bored out of my mind um, going crazy, and, you know, I had come to a CrossFit gym, CrossFitted, loved it, loved the community aspect, and it was a incubator for a lot of small business, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. So, you know, the whole Redline thing was great, the name was super cool to associate with our space, but I was just, you know, super passionate about the sport and the community, and, um, you know, I, I, I just dug in real hard and got after it. I mean, to get to where we are today on like operating five sanctional events is it's like literally I mean just really a lot of the right place at the right time you know I met Matt Fraser in 2014 and you know he burst not only as an athlete but as a brand and you know he didn't really trust anybody and I was like I was there I'm his buddy I'm sponsoring him I, I always thought agency stuff was cool, being sports agents. I had a very close friend that was a basketball agent, D. Brown. I don't know, a lot of people remember from the Celtics. He was D. Brown's agent, and I, like, grew up kind of idolizing this guy, and I'm like, you know what? I can help Matt a little bit. And then it got, like, real serious, and I was like, hey, Matt, you know, you might want some help with this. And But because I think of how he's wired and, like, puts a lot of stock in, like, a very small group of people that he trusts, he gave me that opportunity, and... Uh, super grateful for it it's uh it's been a wild fun ride since then but i mean that really was the pivotal moment you know and it gave me an opportunity to engage a group of people that you know trust you know that you know trusted me on the marketing side and you know i was able to get out there and spend more time with people like dylan and nelson and marco my now business partners at events and uh gain some trust from the brands and you know it's kind of all started to piece together to where we're at today uh, yeah i think the trust thing is so foundational obviously to being a, an agent sure. so the way you're talking about Matt with this close uh, knit group of people and not really allowing other people in Dylan you can probably speak to this and you, Matt you can also speak to this within the CrossFit space it seems like it's gone to or from let me get any endorsements I can because I'm also doing three other things to be an athlete to I can be a professional CrossFit athlete and this can be my life do you feel like Matt kind of almost set the template and maybe you guys have paved the way for you know being a professional CrossFit athlete and being treated like a you know a more traditional NBA player NFL player and, and looking at you know going about the season that way and endorsements and partnerships yeah I mean I think 
there are a number of people who blaze that trail, right? I think Rich, you can't you can't ignore Rich and Annie, um, a little in front of those guys for sure. Obviously, those two big brands as athletes that emerged out of those initial years of the games. But I feel like this group, this crop, has like really what you're saying too is like really professionalized it as a, as a larger group. Um, I can remember early on talking to Matt in my kitchen. In like trying to sort of get him to buy into like I think he was very like you know focused on a certain couple of things that and didn't really have like a, a long term uh, scope to look through about how he was going to go about this and I was like you know we got a plan for success like I want you to operate now like you know you're getting millions of dollars for endorsement and like the CrossFit Games is your only focus and you're gonna win like that's gonna be your mindset and he bought he bought into that. Uh, not just because I was saying he had coaches, but like truly because he found that that was the path he wanted to take. But yeah, I mean, early on, Katrin, Matt, you know, we worked with Brooke Hentz at the time, uh, Brooke Wells, um, we now work with Annie, you know, Tia, Pat Boner, and Brent Fikowski, all these guys have Not really... Not too shabby of a roster. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's fun. It's exciting. They... You know they, you know they've bought into that template, you know, um, and they've before they were sort of allowed, you know, allowed's a bad word. Before they should have been, you know, maybe investing in that full time perspective aspect of like the business side and the training side. They owned it. They bought into it. They trained like that, and they believed in what we wanted them to do from a business perspective, you know, and trusted us. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you were saying, the trust side of things. It's like. Without that, like, I have nothing. We have nothing. You know, whether it's an event with our community volunteers, you know, uh, it doesn't matter, athletes, brands, it's all, I mean, that's, that's the most important thing. It's relationship what, what driven. Do. Everything's a relationship. Yeah, I, that's, like, you couldn't have said it better. It's relationship driven. And the reputation that you've built for this brand in such a short period of time is truly second to none. So what things have hit cool? No, yeah. it is. No, it's no. cool to hear that because I don't think we are uh, we we want that to be the case. But like we don't spend a lot of time like uh, out checking if that's how people feel. Exactly, you know. and and I f- that's probably what sets you guys apart to a degree is that you really care about the process and the people. Uh, are there things that either of you learned in you know from the CrossFit world? Uh, or just from past experience that have helped shape the way that you go about things with not just the athletes, but the people that you deal with, like like a company like Whoop, like anyone else, uh, that we, you feel welcome and not like the traditional potential agent trying to take advantage and get everything they possibly can for their client. It doesn't feel like that at all. Can't be, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would like... I don't know if you had like a, an experience or you just saw this kind of as a rampant thing yeah. within the space where, no, you got to give us this, you got to give us this. And it's like, that's an unreasonable ask, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always like, I, you know, Dylan and I have talked about this quite a bit. It is interesting because, you know, you do work for an athlete and you're responsible for their revenue. But I, we say this all the time. We own this, right? It's like, it doesn't do us any good to be involved in a relationship that lasts a year. So if I'm doing what you're saying there, you know, in terms of if we're over pushing those things, 
we're not going to build long-term relationships. It has to have a double-sided value, right? Um, you know, I don't know if you. Ever yeah, there, there are a couple things that I think our our team, the, the, the internal sort of mottos, and and one of them is action over intention. So yeah. it's not about what you do now; it's about the intention behind it. And, and with all of our events, with all of the things that we do with our athletes, it's about helping provide support to both brands, athletes, fans of the sport, uh, and more. So all of the decisions we make are based on those three pillars. Athletes, making sure we can provide opportunity to athletes, provide them with a, a stage to showcase their ability, showcase their fitness. Then we've got, secondly, the brands, help connect them with consumers, whether it be through our events or connecting them with athletes that can then help them connect with their consumers. And then fans of the sport, provide them with a platform to see the best of the best and enjoy the sport. Um, so that's that's at, at, the, at the barest, at the, the lowest level, the lowest common denominator is making sure that we're providing those things. That is our intention, and then our actions will will will, uh, will echo that. We all, I mean, you guys that were at Whoop, um, you're startup, growth-minded. It was, it, like, the last five years have been, a, like, a really nice time to be in this space, right? Everybody was sort of in the same boat. I mean, certainly there were bigger brands in the space, like, you know, Nike's involved, Reebok. But really, there was just a huge group of us all doing the same thing, which is suffering like crazy to grow something you were passionate about. And, like, there's a lot to be said for that, for, you know, all sort of, you know, having no choice a lot of times but to work together for a common goal, but also wanting to. I mean, you learn that in the CrossFit gym. You're a CrossFitter. It's like, you know, um, that's what the CrossFit the whole, that's what CrossFit's all about. Not the sport, but that's what CrossFit's about. It's about community, suffering together, you know, building people up and you know absolutely helping each other through the, the thick the thick of it so it's the same on the business side it's been it's fascinating um you know what an amazing business story the, the the whole crossfit world space is because it's you know it's created some unbelievable businesses and people that operate these businesses you know the nobles of the world rx bar is the craziest story you've ever heard you know kid rolling bars in his basement and <laughs> i know it's so crazy you know it's just and what a great guy and just you know i remember being at my first regional and my booth was like one or two over from him and he was like i'll never i, I forget exactly what he said but peter was like manning the booth by himself and he was just like hey dude you know I'm trying to figure this whole space out like do you get this like do you sponsor athletes <laughs> three years later he's selling to kellogg for 600 million yeah, it's amazing how that the passion and you know putting it down and, and like you said, he just asked you, hey, I don't really get this. You know, putting yourself out there. You guys have been in the space a long time, um, which is why you probably understand the community so well and put on arguably the best events. No, no shade to anyone else, but Wadapalooza is probably almost everyone's favorite event. Probably spectator, competitor. Um, so Dylan, you've been at Wadapalooza a long time. Yeah. How have you kind of seen it change from when you started working with them or, you know, within the Wadapalooza under Guido and, and when that was kind of the show and once Loud and Live came in and has continued to push it forward and became one of the first sanctionals and everything like that. Was yeah. it actually the, the first sanctional? I think it was the second. Second, uh, Dubai was Oh, Dubai first. was first. Yep. Yeah, I think they were a week or two before us. They announced just before us, right? It, well, it was all happening at the same the time. Calendar, yeah. And, yeah, December, and then ours in January, January now yep. in February this year. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you, I think it all boils down to going back to that word of intention. You know, we, we saw a void in South Florida. People wanted a, a place to showcase their ability, and, and there wasn't 
really any big events at the time or any solid events in South Florida at all. I think at the time OC Throwdown was going on, that was probably the biggest event in the U.S. at the time. Um, when we started, though, the idea was just to have a South Florida Throwdown. We probably had 150 athletes. We are in the same venue of Bayfront Park, but it felt a whole heck of a lot bigger then because there was a lot of empty real estate. I think... Um, you know, there was no fencing. It was just kind of open air. I remember actually during one of the workouts, we had some random person walk right onto the competition floor and pick up a barbell mid-heat, start doing, you know, bicep curls, uh, funny enough. So just, yeah, just to show where it's come from the, from, from just being a backyard throwdown to be this, you know, this, this huge professionally run event. Um, again, that year, 150 athletes, about 500 spectators. I think we all jumped for joy when uh, we had one vendor, I think it might have been just a local shoe company, sports shoe company, that paid 150 bucks and gave a couple pairs of shoes to the winners, and we were jumping for joy uh, in the fact that we got them on board. And then now what it's become, this sort of like grand destination expo for brands with over 100 displaying every year, so that's one example. And then again, it was all primarily local. We had an elite division, and I'll never forget it. uh, We didn't have enough females competing, so we actually put them into the male division and just scaled their weight accordingly. So we probably had an elite division of 20 athletes. And uh, and now for it to be, just like with the brands, this place that all the elite want to compete to vie for the prize money, to vie for the spots of the games, uh, is truly humbling. But I will tell you, as far as, well, maybe the spectacle has increased going from that to year two to maybe 300 athletes and now maybe getting more of like a southeast presence. The, year, the next year, we got some California participation, some Northeast participation to where it is now with 2,300 athletes. The intentions are still the same, and, and we go back to our motto. The whole point of Wadapalooza is to celebrate, celebrate all things, um, but primarily the three words that are all over, the, all over the, uh, the venue, all over our social, celebrate fitness. How do we celebrate fitness? Through competition. Celebrate uh, community and celebrate life. So how do we celebrate community? We bring all these like-minded individuals down to Bayfront for a weekend they'll never forget. And life by creating memories and building relationships with people, go back to that word relationships, um, that they'll have for the rest of their lives. So it really has stayed true to its ethos, um, but certainly from this 150 athlete, no fence, random people walking up, uh, no real elite presence, just you know, kind of your average Joe's throwing down. And now we still have that category, but that's a small piece of this much larger pie with 37 divisions, uh, you know, seminar stage where you have subject matter experts speaking all weekend. We literally have something for everybody to enjoy. And we just have stayed true to that original intention of celebrating fitness community in life. That's amazing. And I know that all the whoop employees that end up going down to Wadapalooza never want to come back so um, it keeps getting better and better every year Miami has that effect (laughs) it certainly does so maybe Wadapalooza was the easiest one for Loudon Live to take over because there was a framework and there's an understanding of what the community's like and like you said there's an ethos so when you have the you know West Coast now and Madrid and you're going around the world there's obviously the loud and live stamp you want on it. What sort of challenges have you found to find that same sort of lifeblood that you know exists in Miami? So what's the difference for California? What's, what is, what's the thing for Madrid? You know, do you have people <clears throat> there? Obviously, you're working with people locally. Of course. But yeah, I, there's got to be some challenges. No, there is, but I think it's very clear to us what, you know, but each of these, the answer is each of these events has to have its own identity. Mm-hmm. If we try to run California like Waterpalooza, then it's going to be a complete failure. Um, and the answer to that for us is like we want we want to build an event that the local community is super proud of and and is culturally sound for them that they want to participate in on all those levels: spectate, uh, compete, 
or volunteer. So that truly is the foundation for any event, really globally. And it's, you know, for us, we picked markets that I think we've been very interested in traditionally throughout time, whether it was the original Wadapalooza team wanting to go to California and spending a lot of time looking at how to do that, or you look at Mexico and Madrid, I mean, those are those are markets that we're very involved in on the, the music side, um, the entertainment side of our business. So they just make sense. You know, our, our, my partners are El Salvadorian and Cuban, so, you know, very involved in the Latin market. One of my partner's wife is a Spanish citizen, as is he, actually, carries a Spanish passport, too. They... You know, spend a ton of time over there. We have a lot of contacts. They have a lot of business. So those, you know, everything we 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 are doing makes a lot of sense, um, and it's something that we think we can bring, um, enhance what's already existed for the local community, um, and what's true to that particular brand, like Granite Games, for instance. Couldn't be more excited about that. You know, uh, we're going to move that event to to Minneapolis, and um, just make it a little. A little easier to get to. More accessible, but we also like we were, you know we were talking this morning a little bit about that particular event, which is, you know, we just know if you put uh, a venue near hotels and people don't have to rent cars and they can walk across the street, like all those one percent start to add up to a really good experience, which is what's most important. Like it isn't about anything else that people come down or come to the Midwest or go to California and have an absolute blast. And if we do that, all the rest of the stuff that we need to accomplish trickles down from that. If athletes, volunteers, partners, spectators have a blast through that experience, we win. You know, we, we all win and everybody's had a great time and they leave and they want to come back the next year, right? I mean, yeah, no, specifically with Granite Games, I think that that's that to be the case. And uh, to go back to, we, we are working locally with some partners in Mexico and in Madrid and with actually folks that have prior event experience in those locales. Um, so they've given us a lot of guidance. That's been extremely helpful. But just like, for example, as we started to explore a potential move for Granite Games, there's issues with as we start to look at, you know, factors regarding the venue. We, we looked at potentially moving it to Chicago, but there's issues with uh, with unionization and cost of that. So, um, you know, obviously our bread and butter has been Miami. I've, that's my primary experiences with that event. But um, but we've encountered various things across the across the, the world, really, as we as we look to move them to different venues. And we're going to be solidifying the venue for Mexico very soon here, probably, you know, in the next you know seven to 14 days we'll know where that's going to be but it's primarily in uh we're looking at resort properties in the riviera maya oh Hopefully wow should make it pretty easy for us yeah like all, the all inclusive for Classic. spectators how cool would that be right that's that's destination. that one's gonna be wild <laughs> <laughs> sign me up i'm ready <laughs> we'll see you over there then. Yeah, yeah, i'll be there and then in madrid it'll be probably in the heart of of madrid as opposed to i know that uh, a venue that had come to mind for a lot of people was caja magica which is a little ways out from the actual city center um I think like 45 minutes away, actually. So while that's a cool venue, we found a very similar venue close to Madrid, uh, like again, right in the center that I think will check a lot of the boxes of what we need. Yeah. Is the idea to keep some of these events mostly outside, mostly outdoor? Yeah, I mean, I think whatever whatever the environment allows us to do, really. I think, you know, like California, we're in Del Mar, which is where the old regional is. Correct. Was. And, um, which is a great space. Incredible. Yeah. Right? And we're, we're going to do way more, yeah, we're going to be outside. The weather allows it. Um, you know, some of the events seasonally, I mean, depending, like Madrid's going to be like, eh, we'll see. What the, what the venue is going to dictate some of it. 
We'd love to be. We will be outside for some of it. For every single event, there'll yeah. be some. But as as he mentioned, we want each event to have their own look and feel, feel their own Absolutely. brand. You know, so for us, that doesn't necessarily mean replicating Wadapalooza across the other four events. That's actually the furthest thing from what we want. We certainly think there are positive positive aspects of Wadapalooza that we'd like to duplicate. Just as there are things at Granite Games that we really like about the way they operate that we'd like to duplicate across the other events. But ultimately, they'll all have indoor outdoor components depending on the locale and depending on the venue. I don't think I'm like letting any trade secrets out like Wadapalooza you swim on Saturday oh yeah no it's, it's like you know <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty like pretty and, and that's you know the, that is like literally essential to who we are and will be moving forward to, in some way shape or form um, we're that's I think what we're most excited to build at all these new events right I don't have anything to do with that we have a competitive director and a team and programmers that help with all that stuff and but that's what I'm most excited to see play out is like you know there's a horse track at Delmar. Like, are we going to get on it and run around it? Like, we, you know, we're going to ride horses? No, but like this, you know, are we going to run around the city of Madrid? There's lakes. And I just can't wait to see that because each of them will take on, like, they'll have their own, like, signature A little piece. bit of a flair. Yeah. Exactly. You, I was, the next thing I was going to ask is about the competitive piece. So each one now, it seems, is it's a brain trust of multiple programming experts so comp train and misfit you know are doing wadapalooza how do you collectively come up with who's going to program the events are you trying to pick well-known uh groups or are you you know yeah i mean i don't i'll step aside and just start this because it's it's a big process that dylan's involved in um i think the most important thing for us is to build a group um have some continuity in 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 the in the room, uh, get me like out of it or not be involved in it at all. It's not anything I ever wanted to be involved in, but if I if I truly could articulate how little I have for involvement in that, people wouldn't believe me. So I don't I won't even bother. But I'll tell you uh, zero. 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 So um, I stick stick to what I'm good at. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the idea conceptually is like we have so many phenomenal minds in this space. Why don't we put them all in a room? and let them give us their thoughts about testing and like how it should go. And then there's a small group that can then take that filter and say, okay, then let's do the X, Y, Z workout, which is Dylan and Danny. But we, it's even further than what you're talking. It's not just comp training and misfit. It's like hand plans involved. Oh yeah, totally. Training, think tank. Yeah. He'll list them all, but like it's all of them and we want more, you know, we want them all to have a seat at the table to say, because we feel just, we feel responsible, especially with what we have going on now with like, with really making sure that we put a very proper test out and that, you know, we get the insight from the people that are dealing with that the most. Those guys are all coaching the best athletes in the world. Yep. Yeah, so that, that's typically how it works is there's not necessarily a group of programmers in the room actually doing the programming together. We did explore that last year with the Wadapalooza Online Challenge and Qualifier, and I think it turned out pretty well. Um, I think... This year, the way that we've approached things with the online challenge and qualifier actually is, is, is even even better approach. So getting all of these programming arms, as he just mentioned, together to be almost like consultant as a board almost. So okay. we pick their brains about what do they think about a variety of time domains, what consists of a complete test, getting thoughts on what they envision workouts should look like, um, 
over the course of the entirety of the online challenge and qualifier and then also the event on site. But from an actual programming perspective, we take all their feedback. And then there's a smaller team of, as he mentioned, myself and Danny that are working <coughs> leads because there are a lot more factors that maybe they're not considering when we're doing the programming. Less so for the online challenge and qualifier, but more for game day is just the limitations of the amount of time we have versus the number of athletes we have. So the logistics, also the equipment piece. So making all the right pieces fit, but having these people that this is their day-to-day job, making sure that their athletes are prepared. We want to make sure they're having fun. We want to make sure that they're safe. We also want to make sure it's inclusive for everyone competing um, so that there's nothing that's maybe too difficult for them, especially with our online qualification process. And then once they get on site as well. But again, we're, we're typically using them as a soundboard for ideas, but not actually having them in the weeds. And that's because, you know, ultimately it could be perceived, especially as we start getting in the weeds of programming the event, that there's big prize money on the line. And then also, uh, you know, spots to the CrossFit Games. We don't want anyone to feel as if they have an unfair competitive advantage. Exactly, so right. they don't know the workouts whatsoever uh, when push comes to shove and, and game day rolls around. But they are instrumental uh, in helping us sort of develop the concepts around what the programming needs to look like it's funny right a couple weeks ago we had all the athletes down to film and uh oh yeah it looked like a blast it's always a blast <laughs> we have a good time we show them they do it's great we make sure they have a good time but i i remember i think i texted dylan on that monday and i was like hey what are the workouts and he's like wait what I'm, i had no idea you know and they're off phone but that's how little i get in the weeds on it but it's the same for the programmers too like they are seeing it when it's you know some of them have athletes there that help film but um, so they're probably finding out that way a little yeah. bit, but none of them, I mean, Michelle Latondra did an interview last year cause we took a lot of heat around it, which I love. I mean, people want to know, right. And, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, Pat being successful and, you know, her programming workouts. And she was like, you want to know what I programmed for the workout at, at Wadapalooza this year? And she went through these three movements and like, you know, it was like snatches, like overhead squats and something else. And she's like, you know what my workout was? It was rope climbs, thrusters. It was yoke carries. And yoke carries. Yeah, something. She's like, so I knew nothing. And, you know, people, you know, people love to whine about that stuff. They're like, oh, bad, knew the workouts. Well, yeah. let me also say one other thing from an athlete perspective. Newsflash, none of our athletes need our help. So they're just, they're a group that proves to be successful on any floor, whether they, well, they never know anything or not, whether they knew regionals workouts ahead or they didn't know games workouts ahead. I mean, the group that we work with are successful on every platform. Certainly I or anyone else, coaches are never going to compromise their their success, you know, by sharing something like that. With yeah, them. absolutely not. You know, so it, I don't think that... I know that wasn't the relationship question. rebounds, but yeah, yeah it's no, 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 that's good. I think people definitely think about that, and yeah. it was more, hey, these are the programming minds that are in it, and this is probably going to be a great event for someone like Katrin or Pat, or right. you know, because they're used to this type of programming, and you know, people think that. I think that was more what people probably thought in the first year, but as it continues to evolve, now that hopefully they listen to this, and it's clearer that it's it's just a consultant type basis, and. It's, it's, they're just trying to be complete tests. Uh, hopefully that sheds. People always, like you said, people are always going to complain. Do you think, well, obviously CrossFit's shifting, the way that yeah. the qualification process is shifting, and now the Open is in October. Do you think that more people are going to continue to engage with something like the Wadapalooza online qualifier versus the Open? Because it, it almost gives people that are you know, not elite athletes the ability to complete workouts in succession almost like maybe a mini regionals or, or a comp? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. I think the answer is 
Well, first thing, we love the Open. I mean, we both do it. We have three events that will qualify through the Open. Um, uh, Mexico, Madrid, and California. So we support it, um, even through our events. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see. I, I believe that people love the Open will continue to do it, and for a lot of reasons. It's like a... It's just a rally point every year. I don't know if the timing of doing it twice in six months will affect that this time around and then maybe it rebounds after. We'll see how that plays out. But, see, we have, and we try to build a more inclusive model at Wadapalooza. One of the struggles we have every year is Wadapalooza is the most inclusive event in the world, but somehow it's become the most exclusive event in the world. And what we figured out is it makes a lot of sense if you step back. You know, I do the online qualifier for Wadapalooza to go to Wadapalooza. And I don't I do the open to have fun with my friends. So instantly I've created a platform now of wanting to obtain something through Wadapalooza and there's like twenty thousand people that go told no that actually expect to get to Miami. Nobody expects to get anywhere through the open, but probably like, you know, five hundred people in the world, right? Right. So it depends is the answer. Like I think we do want to build a platform for the community to rally around and have a lot of fun with. Within, but you know, it's a it's a competitive model. You know, we want people to obtain something through it, right? Yeah. yeah, I would I would certainly say piggybacking off of what Matt said that I think the Open will continue to be the Open and and, and the Waterpolo's Online Challenge and Qualifier will continue to be the Waterpolo's Online Challenge and Qualifier. The way. They were positioned this year just by sheer happenstance of it now falling in October is that we were kind of pitted on either side of the games and the Open. So now our individual online challenge and qualifier was dead in the center. So we had some concerns as to how that would affect our participation. And actually, we've still seen an increase. So I think that's telling you that there's still a demand for the Wadapalooza online challenge and qualifier, despite it being butted up against now the Open, which is only a few weeks away. Uh, and then on the opposite end, we'll have our team qualifier. So I think, you know, what it boils down to is what I just said, that I think they're both still have you know, people that want to do both, and, and I think it'll continue to be the case. Um, oh, yeah, I don't think that the Wadapalooza qualifier is going to be... I don't think uh, we're going to see it. We're not going to drop. I think the increase is going to be there because, like you said, people aren't necessarily... Now that there's no regionals to go to, yeah, people are, you know, they don't want to... I know it's not that much money to pay to enter the Open, but it's, do I really need to have my name on the leaderboard if I'm going nowhere? Some people, that's their ultimate test, whereas... I don't know. I always like to do the Wadapalooza qualifier, regardless of the fact nice. I know I'm not going. Uh, right. Because they're great tests. They're short. They're they're engaging. You're like, oh, wow, that's, ter- that was great. They're, terrible. they're so terrible. Hey, uh, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. but that's great. <laughs> whoa. No, and what I was they're, what actually... They're, they're terribly words. challenging, but yeah. Exactly, terribly challenging. Like yeah, that. no, no, no. <laughs> they're, they're, they're amazingly programmed. Um, thanks, thanks so much. Yeah, no, you're doing a great job with those. Well, you uh, know, it's interesting, though. A lot of the sanctionals are using the Open. A lot of them are using the Open as their qualifier. So I think you'll still see a high participation. I think it's probably something like 12, you know, some of ours, but then also I think another like 10 to 15 are using it. Um, so We analyze the hell out of this, right? And, you know, we look at, like, what is the age demographic for the Open? It's, like, fascinating. Like, you know, more than half the people that do the Open are uh, 35 or older. They're all masters, yeah. Really? Yeah, crazy? it's and, and so, like, there, there's... That segment, there's probably, you know what, a thousand people in the world that even get past the open. So, like, how many people are actually chasing that? Probably two thousand. So, when you look at, there's probably a couple hundred thousand people, thirty-five or older, at least doing the open. They're not doing it to go anywhere. Like I do the open. That's my age bracket. I'm not going anywhere. You know. Um, yeah, it's it is it is interesting to see. You know. I'd love, I would love entry into each of them as to the why. I mean, our qual, our qualifiers 
you know, 10% of that, you know. Um, but again, I, I think that for, it's just, you know, we'll, you know, we'll have, we have Granite Games, which will now have its own qualifier as well. Those are, you know, they're just different. And, yep. and, you know, they're just different setups, and people really, really want to do something more than just that qualifier. Are you, I'm really happy to hear that you do it for not going to Wadapalooza. Oh, uh, yeah. No. I mean, I I always love to see what all the online qualifiers are because usually there will be some that you can just absolutely destroy and other ones where it's, I know this is going to be an absolute challenge and I want to put myself in this position. We don't, you know, tall, we don't have a lot of tall guy workouts. They program against me, so they program against you. I'll I'll tell you this year, I feel, and I've been a part of all the qualifiers we've done, I think this is the most well-rounded test, most fun and most inclusive test we've ever had for a qualifier. I'm I'm very proud of the finished product. Um, You know, we're just a a week in now, week two drops, you know, a couple days from now. Uh, but I think people are going to be really excited at what's to come. Do you think, with all this prize money now and every single sanctional, um, that more and more sanctionals will move away from the Open as their qualifier, or is that just a very, very easy way for them to get people? It's, it's, it's basically cutting out a step. It's the opposite right now. Yeah. It seems like now more sanctional organizers are going away from operating their own online challenges or online qualifiers, and now. Uh, steering themselves towards the open just for I think easeability I think for many of the events it's not necessarily a big revenue generator it's there's not a big participation on the online side um, so uh, at least as of right now the trend is uh, is going towards the open as their qualifier or at least collective I think we all agreed all agree and even CrossFit HQ from that matter that it's a, it's a little bit of an issue with having 28 events that are now like regional level competitions 28 individual qualifiers is unsustainable yeah you can't do that we we've wanted to be and will continue to be a catalyst for a solution on that Mm -hmm. it's you know we work with athletes we've got multiple events it's just not like we've watched what it's done to the athlete this year even with the smaller scale seasonal uh sanctional season um it's a disaster for an athlete that isn't top 30 at the games that can get access to a lot of these. Like, we're inviting every athlete, top 30 male and female, from the games and the Open uh, to all five of our events. And then the winners of the last 12 months of sanctionals, uh, the win- the male-female winners from each of those are also invited. So we have, like, very clear oh, so you've invitation already, criteria. You've already automatically qualified 30 people. Oh yeah, uh, on each side. Oh and no, more, even, more, even sixty. Well, it depends on the overlap Are between the open and the games. Well? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah those team exemptions. We, we we basically have talked a lot about it. Like I and Dylan's tired of hearing it, but Never golf tired. is yeah. But <laughs> golf's a very similar. You know, it's an it's an individual sport that we need to pay attention to because they've for probably eighty years tried to figure out how to do this and continue to tweak it. So that's they've made all the mistakes that we don't have to make and look at how do you tour an individual athlete. And so we've looked at it and taken some stuff away. I mean, it's a little different because we're you're dealing with like prize fighters now that can't play 28 straight weeks of golf. Correct. You know, so it's a little bit of a different scenario in how you score it over the long term if we go that route for you know collecting these things. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've we've I've been a huge proponent of like finding a million different ways to invite these people off of their success on the floor. Right. And in a good way, he's fought some of it because it's not necessarily cookie cutter for what we've always done in the past. And we've found a nice, happy medium. Yeah, I think so. Point. So do you, going off that golf model, do you foresee in, in I don't know, the next five, six, seven, eight years, 
of CrossFit that it goes to basically, let's say, four major competitions. Let's say it's Wadapalooza, CrossFit Games, and pick two other international ones. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, maybe the CrossFit Games is looked at as, like, the masters of the season, and you just, hey, there's a winner of this, 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 and it's you're not really held any in less esteem. You still won the CrossFit Games, but these other events are effectively just as important in terms of prize money and, you know, notoriety. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think, I think that that's, um, you know, something that will play out, and I think, um, you know, certainly... I don't know that, you know, any, I don't know the organization or anything will actually, like, put the, the that, you know, uh, tag on it as major championships, but I think events will separate themselves from prize money perspective, you know, and there certainly are some that have a more significant position. Dubai gives 600000 you know, Rogue gives 450000 Wadapalooza will give about that this year. You know, doing a lot to try to give back to that athlete community. West Coast Classic will be over three hundred thousand. Madrid was going to be over two hundred and fifty thousand. About so, I mean, like those events. Um, I guess we don't focus on that. Is the point? Like, it's not about anything but what we said before. Is like building these culturally sound, cool community events, and then using that platform to you know support a group of people that you know we believe in that have believed in us and, and, and providing them running opportunities through the elite side and, and those events yeah have become more significant on the prize money side it will be interesting to see if like some sort of model is adopted by even the organization you know crossfit um, you know if I, I i don't know that it will but i think certainly the prize money thing will be a separator mm-hmm. yeah we're focusing on what we can control right now and Obviously, it'd be great for something to transpire in the, in the future, um, but we're, as Matt mentioned, just focused on establishing these events, making sure that they're desirable from an athlete perspective with these prize purses, and I think the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, but again, that's why you guys are separating yourself as you know, best, best in class. We're going to start doing some things together with, with Whoop and Loud and Live, yep. and that's going to be awesome. We're really yes. excited. Yes. We're excited to get to these events. Uh, obviously, technology and, and sports science in all sports is continuing to evolve and be more prevalent. You know, things as simple in the NFL and NBA is basically how far did somebody run or how fast did they accelerate. It's very simple things that keep the the audience engaged, even though it's fairly surface level. You know, with Whoop being tied in, it's obviously going to give a way more granular level to, to a lot of this. Where do you kind of see technology being a part of CrossFit the sport going forward, and particularly without live events, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I for a long time have, and, and I've talked to you guys about it, I think your technology has an, uh, is, a, is a platform that can help our sport be uh, understood, uh, you know, by a wider, a, a broader group of people. Um, you quantify suffering with, with <laughs> Whoop, in which is what our sport is, right? So it's not, you know... NFL players suffer. They train their ass off, and um, but you know they they run a play every forty seconds, and they get to take a breath. You know our people are sucking wind through a straw or through a wet blanket. You know, and it's hard. You know I always go back to my dad. You know, texting me like you know what the hell is this? And you know if he can see the the tipped out heart rate, and you know and and a, and a play by play and color analyst can say, wow, look at how much that guy just recovered from 
point A to point B, the second piece of this workout in 10 seconds, that's like superhuman. You know, it's, I just, I think it's a platform for me that now starts to really put some context to what these kids are doing. And for the end user through certainly a broadcast, you know, when a kid's on a rower going ham for a 2K, it's kind of boring, you know. But now if you can see what's going on with it as the meters go and as they're holding certain rates, people's ability to recover through movement, um, I think that's where, like, a lot more broader audience kind of get, gets hooked on this. It's like, you know... I don't even know what out there in history would be the analogy to it, but it's just, you know, it's tough to quantify suffering um, because all, you know, all you see is the carnage at the finish line and it's like, oh, that must have sucked. But, you know, the average human being isn't doing a pegboard and uh, split snatches and split clean jerks with an 85-pound dumbbell or whatever it was. Like, that's crazy and over time and multiple times and... You know, uh, you know the the bike workout at the games this year. Um, you know how crappy. You know, and I particularly get to do a lot with Madden competition, being on his coach's band. Just him. You know, the burpee workout so benign. You know, but to hear him articulate that coming off would be so cool to watch it. That's all is my, is my thing because he's like, man, that was the worst thing ever. <laughs> and I was like, bro, you did thirty burpees. What do you mean? You know, and it's like, no, you don't get it. You know, and also. What about their heart rate before they start? We were talking about golf today, like over a $15 million putt, but it'd be so cool to see how amped they're getting before a lift. Like that stuff to me is essential for us, I guess, moving forward. Yeah, I would also say kind of the relatability. I think one of the beautiful things about CrossFit in the early days was a lot of what the elites were doing were very similar to things that the average Joe were able to do within their box. But as the skill level has increased, that relatability has sort of decreased, like the ability for me to say, wow, I can do that. And and how would I fare doing the exact same thing that Matt Fraser just did in three, four minutes? Maybe it would take me 10 minutes, but I'm able to perform the same amount of work. But now that the skill level and the strength has gone so high, it's not quite as relatable. But being able to see things like heart rate variability and see where mine is in comparison to him is just another fun metric to play that game of, hey, how similar am I to the best in the world? You know, that I think uh, putting that on display on the broadcast, um, you know, we're, we're talking about doing some things like you guys did last year with us, like by the numbers, instead of just showcasing the total pounds lifted, showcasing what was the heart rate variability of everyone wearing a whoop during workout three of the online challenge and qualifier. Just another level of people to geek out about, another another uh, array of data for people to, uh, to continue to analyze as to how they can improve and get better. Yeah, and being able to look at things like recovery on day of comp or, you know, we look at it retrospectively. Obviously, we're not going to – we don't necessarily want to put – the athletes wouldn't want to put it out there before. It's hard because of that, right? Right, but if you're looking at it retroactively and say, yeah, no wonder Pat Vellner had a good day. He was 98% recovered and then won three events today. So That isn't – it's the hard part, I think, in general because I think that it's so valuable and I think it's essential to their – you know, Psyche a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. to analyze their performance. But, I mean, Sunday at the games or Sunday at Waterpalooza and you open your phone and you're not recovered, I mean, that's, like, devastating. Some of them don't want to see so that. So they don't want to see yeah. some of that. But, you know, again, I think it's athletes also have to take that step and, you know, we you know protect the largest group of them and invest in things like that so the sport grows, you know. And I think they're all involved, would be in on that overall. I mean, we're, we want to be a catalyst in the market, um, and we want to innovate with 
brands like Whoop. Uh, you know, we want to be the platform to try things out and be different. Um, and, I, you know, we're pumped to, to, to dig in with you guys this year and see what we can bring to the audience on the floor through the digital component um, at the venue and, and through the broadcast. As are we. It's going to be uh, pretty awesome. Uh, first, oh, Wadapalooza qualifier ends today. Not that it matters First now. week ends today so yeah. of the individual, and then there's yeah. two more weeks, and then we have our team qualifier starting December 6th. So we still got plenty of time if you want to put the, put a team together to compete. So I'm 0-2 against Dylan, so I think I'm packed. <laughs> and Wadapalooza this year, dates are? February 20th to the 23rd. So where can we find everything about what Loud and Live's doing, what you individually are doing? Yeah, a few places. Individually, I'm, I'm nowhere to be found on, on social media, but you can find us at Loud Live Sports on Instagram and then also at Wadapalooza if you want to track that first event of the season. And each of our events have their own individual social handles, so you can just give them a quick search. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Love to have you. We're excited uh, to keep going together. Yeah, pumped for what's ahead. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Matt and Dylan for coming on the podcast, and we're looking forward to doing some big things with Loud and Live in the future. If you're not already a WHOOP member, you can join our community for as low as $30 to begin. We provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, heart rate variability, and more. The membership comes with a free WHOOPstrap 3.0, We offer 6, 12, and 18-month memberships. The more you sign up for, the more you save. If you enter the code WILLAHMED at checkout, that's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, we'll give you $30 off a membership just for listening to this podcast. For our European customers, the code is WILLAHMEDEU, and that'll give you 30 euros off when you join. For our listeners in Australia, the code WILLAHMEDAU will get you 35 Australian dollars off your membership. And for our current members, you can upgrade to the Whoopstrap 3.0 and get access to all the new Whoop Live features by following the link in your Whoop app. If you're out of contract, you'll literally get the 3.0 for free when you commit to another six months. Check out whoop.com slash thelocker for show notes and more, including links to relevant topics from this conversation and others. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed. I try to respond to everyone who reaches out. Uh, And you can also follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email thelocker at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions you may have. Thank you again to all our listeners, to all our WHOOP members. We love you.